15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From our respective apartments, it is the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Myself and Bobby Blanco joined uh, here from our different apartments, Bobby. Uh, we both Hello. have done some work in the backgrounds of our sets here. We apologize if this is not the smoothest run video you've ever seen, simply because uh, I have my laptop in front of me. I have the live stream device that we use in front of me. I have the audio mixer in front of me. And uh, and we're just kind of making this up as we go along. Yeah, guys, take it easy on Paul. He is not only hosting this podcast, but also live producing it as we go along. So it might be a little choppy, but we'll get through it. And it's uh, um, unconventional times, yes. as we, everyone knows. So it's uh, make do. With, we're just happy to be providing uh, content for anybody, uh, for all you Orioles fans out there. We know we've been off the air for a couple of weeks now trying to figure out what Mass and Alexis is going to be doing yeah. um, during all of this. So um, we're glad to be back. It might be a little choppy, like Paul said, but, um, you know, it's better than nothing. That's that's what our thinking was in terms of, you know, our Mass and All Access podcast and, and Mass and All Access in general coverage was. And uh, I said this on the show yesterday. We're doing we're trying to do uh, Oriole shows every Tuesday at three o'clock. Um, on our social channels, and we're going to do podcasts coming to you every Wednesday. We're going live on Twitter, and then we're going to have this. You might be listening to this after the fact on uh, other formats, but um, there are obviously very much bigger and more important uh, and more serious things going on in the world right now than just baseball and the fact that baseball is delayed and on hold. But um, we also know that you guys could use a distraction. I know we could use a distraction, um, so we're going to try to be that for you, um, at least a part of it. And, uh, you know, if you're working from home, um, you know, try to give you at least, uh, an hour or so every Wednesday of, um, of a distraction to, to keep your mind off the, the things going on in the world that, uh, is, is really, uh, bringing us all down, I think right now. And, and just, um, remind us that there are still fun things to talk about, still sports, um, on the horizon eventually, and uh, we'll get through this. Yeah, maybe on the bright side, people who usually can't tune into our live podcast because they're at work and can't like access Facebook or social media at all when they're in their office. Now, if they're working from home, you can just throw it on your TV if you got a smart TV or throw it on your computer and put it to a side and continue to do your work and have us on in the background. So not all bad things. We're still trying to get all uh, get by this all together. And, um, you know, like we kind of mentioned before, Doing from our home, uh, our respective homes, obviously being safer rather than sorry, um, and just trying to take this as serious as possible while also having some fun with it. Obviously, like, you know, you can see my background. I got a little plush Oreo behind my shoulder. Yeah, looking um, good. Oreo uh, bird. I got the uh, Welcome to Birdland towel behind me. So I'm wearing a Trey Mancini in support of Trey. Um, glad to see he's doing better. Hopefully, he's home from the hospital soon. Um, you know, gonna have some fun with it. So, not all bad. Uh, hopefully we're, we're a bright spot, um, your monotonous days uh, as you work from home from here for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and uh, if you hear a dog barking in the background, uh, that's my girlfriend's dog, Helga. Um, she is uh, very harmless, if sometimes a bit of an annoyance. So, uh, 
you know, that's, uh, she's just like, if she barks, that means she disagrees with whatever hot take we are saying at that, that time. So we have so many of them. We do often have so many of them, but, uh, you know, Bobby, it has been a, a very strange past couple of weeks. We were not down in spring training when the last, um, games were being played and they were brought, um, the, the buses left the facility at Edson stadium and then eventually were brought back. That was March 12th yep. that, uh, games were put on hold the day after the NBA was put on hold in their regular season. Uh, initially, opening day was pushed back two weeks and then pushed back another six or so weeks uh, to at least mid-May, and that's where we stand right now. Um, it is just a strange time. I know that a lot of players are treating this uh, and being told to treat this as a second offseason, um, and and I, that's kind of how it feels right now from a media perspective. Um without obviously free agency um, but and, and the benefit of, of moves and trades, but it feels just like a dead period. And um, it sucks because a lot of people, I think, were just ramping up to getting ready for the season, getting excited for uh, the Orioles to return. And all of a sudden, we're, we're just kind of launched into this this waiting period and this holding pattern. Yeah, and it's, Paul, it's crazy. I think tomorrow's supposed to be opening day. We, you yeah. know, this should be like our season preview podcast episode um, as we get ready for the Orioles that host the Yankees tomorrow. John Means versus Garrett Cole, yeah. 3 o'clock at Camden Yards. It's supposed to be beautiful. I mean, the weather today is absolutely disgusting. It's but pretty crappy. Yeah. Tomorrow it's supposed to be beautiful, which kind of makes it even harder to stomach that there's no baseball on. Um, but yeah, it's so eerie to think like we, we, like you said, we weren't down there in, uh, in Sarasota, but I can only imagine, I, I would love to hear like Rakubatko, Steve Molesky, uh, people from the sun, all their like takes or their, their point of views of seeing the bus leave the facility to go to their spring training game and then just immediately turn around and come back. It just must've been the most like, like eerie thing to see because then, you know, it's like, okay this isn't going to happen. We're not going to be doing baseball. Like they are literally not driving. And, and I think they were heading to Tampa. Uh, I, I, don't, I think so. I honestly can't either remember. way. It wasn't it was, that, that far. feels so like not, forever ago. Right. But either way, it, they weren't going that far. I mean, some guys, some players were driving their own cars so they could just drive back whenever they were done playing in the game. It was a nearby opponent. Um, and the fact that they didn't even bother to go, must have been so spooky and just like really kind of earth shattering um, and really brought this thing to the forefront being like, OK, this is serious. Michael Elias and company and, and MLB does don't think that we should be doing this. So we're going to wait and see. We're fully anticipating uh, the season to be put on hold. Um, and and sure enough, here we are. Uh, what a handful of weeks later, a day before we're supposed to opening day and there's no real end in sight. There's just obviously this is a much bigger thing than just baseball and sporting the sporting world. Um, and I think because there's so much uncertainty, you know, from the grand scheme of things of this whole virus taking uh, its grip on the on the world. But focusing it on baseball, there's even more uncertainty. We have no idea if and when the season can start up again. Um, and it's just kind of wait and see and holding out. I mean, we know now that. Uh, it's 
it's going to be longer than they had originally anticipated before we can even start up spring training again. And I think um, a lot of people have obviously speculated. It's, it's, it really is all speculation. I mean, there was a report from yeah. Jeff Passan this morning on ESPN.com, and they're just preparing for every scenario possible. You know, it, it, I don't think they want to go in their minds to a scenario where there is no 2020 MLB season. Um, yeah. I don't think they want to go there yet just because tomorrow would be opening day and it's a six month long season and they don't want to have to cross that bridge until they have to, they're forced to get to it. So, um, but that's on the table. I mean, that is eventually going to be on the table. Uh, you know, if baseball does return, it's obviously going to be mid May at the very earliest. I think more realistically, a a, a uh, optimistic start date would probably be at the beginning of June, um, which throws so many things off. I mean, if you think about the the Orioles in particular, a team that is heavily reliant on this upcoming draft where they hold the number two overall pick and in desperate need of, of getting an influx of talent into the organization. Think about J2, July 2nd, the international signing period. The fact that there are no college games going on, so teams can't scout those players and obviously scouts are pulled from the road so they can't do that Um, they're not allowed to be in contact with uh, international free agents just so that no team can get a leg up on other teams while they're in this holding pattern there are so many ripple effects to this and it really is is delaying just about everything in the sport and and like we said there are and it bears repeating that there are more important things than the delays that are going on and you know, there it's it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if there isn't baseball until a certain point, but it does affect a lot of people's livelihoods. Um, you think about all the minor league players that uh, you know rely on this for a job, and uh, and major league players as well. But it's it's mind boggling, and I am glad we are not the ones that are going to have to decide how to get out of this, um, and decide when to get out of this and when to return, if to return. Um, because it is going to be an absolute logistical nightmare uh, if, we, if and when we get to the point where we can say, all right, we can have baseball again. I mean, it, there are so many, so many things that are affected uh, by this that it, it's, it's almost difficult to comprehend at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And that Jeff Passan um, story you mentioned, like – Talking about a possible neutral site World Series, um, yeah, it's great. I don't mean to be in a you know in a time of negativity. There's so much negativity going around. It's it's a scary time to be you know doing this kind of thing. Um, but I, I just it's really hard for me to see realistically baseball being played. We know mid May is the target date. Um, that probably means games starting around June. I mean, if they don't start games by July, MLB has never played a season with a hundred games or fewer. So I don't know how they're going to cram in that many games. And also the thing is to consider is that baseball, there aren't, there are so many, it can't be played into fall. You know, it's not like football yeah. where it's a fall or a cold time sport. It's not like basketball and hockey where you can be played indoors. Um, obviously there are dome stadiums, but there aren't enough to house 30 teams, yeah. you know, so they can only play so deep into the calendar year it's going to get to a point where they're not going to be able to squeeze in enough games to then warrant a playoff and then a, a World Series. Or, there, I mean, another possibility is maybe just you play as many games as you can and then it's going to be old school 
Like it's just going to be whoever has the best record in the American League and the National League, and that's the World Series, and right. that's going to be, that's going to be tough. I mean, obviously these are unconventional times. They're going to have to think outside the box if they want to get a season in. Obviously, the goal is to get a season in and, and play games, um, but then there's so many other factors. First and foremost, being the health and safety of the players, yeah. coaches, everyone involved with these teams and organizations. Uh, but then there's a trickle down effect. How do the minor league teams play their seasons? How like the draft, you know, the NCAA has already granted uh, spring sports an extra year to play for those students who lost their seasons this year. That includes baseball. So those seniors would be juniors who would be entering the draft if there even is a draft have another season of to put tape on, like, will they just stay? I mean, it's just so many ripple effects go up and down the board here, not just in baseball, but across the sporting world. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm glad we're not the ones making decisions. We're just the ones reporting on it and commentating yeah. on it. <laughs> and there are so many competing interests. Like you mentioned the, the fact that, you know, there hasn't been an MLB season with hundred games or fewer. And I'll, I'll bet that there are, you know, there are a lot of players that say whenever we get to play, we're happy to play, whether that be, you know, if we have to start back in August, that, you know, that's fine by me. But also, if you start back in August, you, you, you can't, can you really have a legitimate season that is 20 games right. <laughs> or even 60 yeah. games or 80 games? Because any, any kind of results that you get from that season um, wouldn't make sense and they would be skewed and weird and, and, um, you know, if, if you do go to a best American league, best national league team world series, you know, are those, are the, would the results of a world series like that be legitimate? Probably not. Um, yeah, just because it's, it's, it doesn't make sense, um, for given the sport. So, um, but at the same time, you know, people are going to want baseball when it, when it's able to return, I know we're going to want baseball and I know a lot of players are going to want to just play. So are they just going to play spring training like games or, you know, if they get to the point where it's August and they're cleared, but they don't want to play 60 games and have a 60 game champion. Are they going to play games that don't matter? Probably not. You know, there are all kinds of, of things at play here. So just, just an absolute nightmare. But of course, First and foremost is just getting through this and, and making sure your players are, are healthy and safe. Um, I mean, the, the CDC recommendation of 50, you know, gatherings of 50 or more people for at least eight weeks, 50 is a pretty tiny number. And yeah. uh, I mean, you know, if they, if they have to play empty stadium games, would, you know, how, how, much, how lenient would they be allowed to be in terms of how many players on each roster is the media allowed to cover it? Um, all kinds of stuff is, is you know our TV crews going to be allowed to be in? And TV crews are fifty people by themselves. Exactly, exactly. Um, and you think of all the people that you know are working. Uh, you know, t- I think of uh, the just during this layoff, the TV crews that are paid game by game and don't yeah. get um, you know a regular paycheck all year round, but are just. During the season, they work their butts off and they they uh, make enough money to last through the off season. Those people might not, you know, get to be paid during this period. So there's there's all kinds of stuff. But uh, I do want to eventually turn to more lighthearted topics because we should be that kind of distraction. I think we need to be that kind of distraction. We need to distract yes. ourselves. I think we do. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we could talk about this topic for the entire episode. Yeah. There's exactly. just so many aspects to it. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. 
it's brighten up the mood a little bit. So our plan, if you haven't seen on the Mass and Orioles Twitter account, is to do a uh, introduce a new series called 20 and 20, 20 players to watch in the 2020 season and beyond. These are young Orioles players that uh, some of them have gotten their MLB shot already. Some of them have not. The vast majority are still in the minor leagues, but these are guys that are quickly working their way through the ranks. So I am starting off, of course, on Monday with Adley Rutschman. And uh, Bobby, let's have a conversation about the number one overall pick. Let's go through his stats, um, some of his scouting report, and then uh, let's make some predictions for, uh, for Adley. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's number one's got to be number one, right? This is the guy that most Orioles fans are looking forward to seeing, and it's a shame that his first spring training was cut short. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just, right before all this kind of went down and MLB shut down, we the last time we saw Adley was he got his first hit in spring training uh, before being sent down to minor league camp. Uh, it, it was it was just good to see him playing. I, I don't think he started any games at catcher, uh, which is probably his strong suit at this point defensively and throwing out runners. That's something that he seems pretty comfortable doing already. You know, with any young player, the bat's going to come eventually. You know, he's going to be behind in terms of swinging the bat. That's why he only grabbed one hit, of course, of seven seven or nine games that he played in spring training. Uh, but it'll come eventually. He just needs more at-bats. And uh, Another reason why this is a shame that this is happening because it's taking away his game experience. Um, but on the forefront, I mean, on the surface of it all, he gained so much experience in the small amount of time he spent in major league camp over the past month or so. I mean, Michael, I said so as much just the being around major leaguers, catching major, major league pitchers. This is just getting his feet wet in terms of being a professional ball player. Um, he got that start early on, you know, obviously being a catcher, he reports to camp earlier, got that uh, spring training invite being the number one overall pick. Of course, um, the number one the Orioles, number one overall prospect, heading into the season. Um, so a lot to look forward to. It's a shame that one, of course, that his spring training got cut short, but also two that fans being able to see him play and actually play baseball in an Orioles uniform got cut short as well. Exactly. He, everybody pretty much that, you know, got to work with him, whether it be coaches, whether it be his fellow teammates seemed thoroughly impressed. I mean, we were in the clubhouse as well and we just, you know, we've noticed it in the numerous times that we've met Adley, but Dude is big. He is strong. Um, he just looks like already he has the body of a major leaguer. Um, he still has a little bit of a baby face. But other than that, he pretty much has the feel, the confidence um, of a major leaguer. So the stats, obviously, you throw him out the window. Um, and look, he at the first couple stops he made in pro ball, he struggled for like the first couple games. All three stops he made in pro ball this season – Uh, He struggled at the first couple games. His cumulative stats, so let's start with the Gulf Coast. He played in just five games, and he had just two hits, but he was trending upwards at the end of those five games. One homer, three RBIs. That was right after he uh, was drafted and signed, obviously. So after five games, he got the promotion up to Aberdeen. From there, he had 20 games. He hit 325 with a homer, 12 walks, and 15 RBIs. 325 in 20 games. So he showed that he was kind of... uh, past that already, but he struggled for the first week that he was there, turned it around, and had a good 20-game stretch, and then he ended the season with Delmarva, 12 games, uh, 154 average, and two homers, six walks, and eight RBI. so clearly very small sample size there as he was getting his feet wet, and a long season coming from college game at Oregon State, then transitioning and going to three different professional stops, 
um, a long season, but he he's getting a lot thrown at him very quickly, um, and he's absorbing it all and taking it all in stride. Yeah, and if you're looking at if you're watching on uh, Mass Orioles Twitter account right now, uh, the live stream or running some B-roll we got of him in uh, spring training, you mentioned seeing him in the clubhouse ball. He's already big. He's listed as 6'2", uh, I think 2, let's see, 6'2", 216. Mm-hmm. He looks bigger than that, and in a good way. I'm not, you know, he looks like he's already filling in muscle-wise. Uh, he looked bigger when we saw him at the beginning of spring training than he did just a sh- couple months ago when we saw him at the end of the regular season last year. It's crazy how just being put into a major league club or major league system or being a professional ball player can just change the physique of a person going from college to pros. Uh, he's already looked stronger. It's great. We, we were watching him catch bullpens like we just saw uh, on the video right there. Mm-hmm. He's sometimes sitting next to Chan Sisko, who has been a top Orioles prospect for a couple of years now. He's been a professional a major league catcher for a couple years now and they almost look identical it's hard to tell them apart that's how big Ali Rutschman is and he's growing he's still growing you know he's a young kid only 21 22 he's he's got the physique down and then also mentioning you know you mentioned the stats is there I, I I'm impressed that even you know the average wasn't always there he hit well in Aberdeen eventually uh the homers only hit four homers across the board but the RBIs were there 15 RBIs in, in Aberdeen eight in Delmarva He's driving in runs. He's getting productive hits. Uh, he has that capability of being a clutch hitter. And we saw that when he was in college. You know, he was the 2018 College World Series most outstanding player. He set a College World Series record with 15 RBIs. Uh, the guy just has that it gene. Yeah. Uh, and you, it just oozes off him. He's got confidence. He has swagger. Not in a cocky way, which is a good thing that you might see some from number one overall picks in other sports. Uh, he just... He takes on that leadership role that has been thrusted upon him. Um, and he takes it with stride. I mean, the way he works with pitchers that we saw in the brief time we were there was pretty incredible considering he's a young, fresh out of college kid. Yeah, and I think the Orioles fans are want to make a um, comparison in the to Matt Wieters a lot of times and the hype that surrounded him uh, before he made his major league debut. To me, I just think Adley is is a tick better. And I think at this point in his career, obviously we can't foresee the future and we can't determine what kind of career exactly he's going to have. But um, the guy grades out well, according to scouts in just about every, in every way Uh, he's a 60 hit. This is on a 20 to 80 scale. And this is according to MLB pipeline, 60 in terms of hit 40 in terms of run, which is expected for a catcher 60 in terms of field 60 for power and 60 for arm. I mean, he's an overall 65 on a scale of 20 to 80, which is really darn good. Um, he just has, it's its not like, you know, I, I couldn't necessarily see him coming up and, you know, being hitting 45 home runs a year and just being a power guy. Um, but I could see him coming up and earning a gold glove two out of every three years for the first couple of years that he's there. Um, yeah. And I could see him just having a solid bat. He, he may not have you know, MVP, MVP caliber offense, but his overall presence, he's going to be, I think he has the potential to be like a five or six win player. Seriously, on like yeah. a year-to-year basis, just because of what he also brings on the defensive side and because I think he'll be a good enough hitter um, to back that up. So I just think what a great piece to start the rebuild with. Um, they really could not have uh, have found a better piece 
to kick off the rebuild. Michael Elias was pretty much handed this great number one overall pick in his first year, and it it just gives Orioles fans a lot of hope, I think, to look when you look ahead in the rebuild and you have somebody to look towards. You have one player to look towards and and say this guy could be the centerpiece of this rebuild. Yeah, you mentioned the leadership in Michael Elias. Michael Elias said so as much leading up to the draft last year after they drafted Adley. They really, really valued his leadership ability. This is the kind of guy, we've said this countless times on this podcast, this is the kind of guy you want to be the face of this rebuild. You want to put the pressures of being the number one overall pick on this guy's broad shoulders because he can handle it. He just is that type of kid that accepts the role, takes it in stride, and is someone that everyone looks up to. And then also he's a great baseball player. You know, it's just a complete package that you would hope. And we kind of thought leading up to the draft last year, if there was going to be a tipping, something that tipped the scales in favor of Adley, it was going to be his off-the-field persona, his off-the-field leadership and and capabilities of being able to take this team, uh, take the pressures of being number one overall pick, the pressures of being the face of the rebuild, um, and make the best of it, and, and really be okay with that kind of pressure that comes with that expectations um, from a from a young cat, young guy. And, and Michael Elias has said nothing but positive things. In the, the short time he's gotten to know Adley, obviously seeing him with the major leaguers for the first time, he said Adley was learned so much, was excited to be there every day, um, and still had his own valuable input. He's a smart guy. Um, it, it's He's got that X factor, and that's what Michael Elias was looking for when selecting uh, number one overall last year. Yeah, so... I think that he was an appropriate place to start with this because, uh, absolutely, you know, we we've got plenty more players to discuss over the next however long this ends up being. Um, but you know, certainly an exciting young guy um, to get started with. Um, and you look at his uh, expected level in 2020, and it is a little bit thrown off kilter as with all of these guys. Um, I think if the season had proceeded as normal, I think. To start the season, he was probably, if I had to guess, I would say high A Frederick. Um, what would you think, Bobby, if you had to uh, predict his 2020 starting level had this been a normal season? Yeah, had this been a normal season. I think early on I was expecting him to go back to uh, Delmarva um, okay. and kind of start there, low A ball. Um, but... Like you said, it wouldn't surprise me if he had started at Frederick. I think Michael Eyes even hinted near the end of our shortened spring training that he was going to start at Frederick, which is an impressive jump considering, yeah. like, you know, we just talked about, you just went through all his stats and the lower levels of rookie level, uh, short season and, and low single A, you know, some highs, some lows, but then just to completely trust him to send him to Frederick high A ball. I mean, that's one stop away from Bowie, you know, yeah. he that's one stop away from being 30 minutes away from Baltimore. That's so cool. And people make that jump from Bowie to, to the major leagues. His timeline, I think everyone kind of agrees, is 2021. Yeah. That was before this season kind of got pushed back. So that could change. Uh, but uh, he's on a path of let's get in one more full season of minor league play. And then he should be ready for the big leagues uh, coming up soon. So, yeah, I, I think at this point, having seen him play in the major league spring training, before spring training, I would have said Delmarva. Uh, going along with what you said and what Michael Elias kind of alluded to, probably wouldn't be surprised or expect him to start in Frederick. Yeah, especially considering his coach in Delmarva or his manager 
in Delmarva for those 12 games, just got a promotion as well to high A Frederick. Um, right. That was Kyle Moore, um, who got the promotion after an awesome record-breaking year with the Delmarva Shorebirds. So, um, yeah, I think I, I, I think Frederick just made sense in a lot of ways, even though he did hit uh, 154 in those 12 games with Delmarva. Um, but with all of these guys, you would rather play it safe than sorry. You'd rather send him to the lower level, make sure he can hit, make sure he can handle himself there before you bump him up. Um, but yeah, Bobby, I, I, I think 2021 is still... We'll see how much of a season they get in. But I, <laughs> Right. It's all dependent on how much they play in 2020, you know? Yeah. But if they if they, he gets a handful, you know, half or three quarters of a season in this year, 2021 is definitely still on the table. Anything less than that, you might have to consider 2022, um, maybe late 2021 yeah. even. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, he, he just turned 22. Um, this team was obviously not expected to contend in 2020. Not probably not expected to contend in 2021. So they want to get him up, I'm sure, to get him that experience, but they also don't want to have to use his service time, um, have to kind of, you don't, you never want to waste a player's prime years in the minor leagues. Um, so there, there are all kinds of factors there, but who knows? Who knows at this point with everything that is being right. put on hold. Um, yep. So coming up this Friday, we're going to have Kyle Stowers as the 2020, 20 in 20, uh, 20 players to watch, who was his Adley's teammate down in with the uh, Aberdeen Ironbirds, um, who is a center field prospect. So we'll be discussing him on the show next week, and we'll be uh, discussing him on the podcast as well next Wednesday. But, uh, Bobby, we when we were down in Sarasota, we gathered quite a lot of interviews and segments, um, and I figure now would be just about as good a time to go through all this stuff, because why not? Yeah, why not? Um, we, <laughs> Nothing else to do. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We went down and we got all of those interviews, and we said, well, all right, well, we got at least enough to, to get the content out until opening day, not knowing that, uh, yeah, that this was going to stretch out longer. Not knowing that we'll be actually be starting to turn them out on opening day. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, this will be ready for opening day on July 12th, we said. Right. Um, no, yeah. but I, I remember having a conversation with uh, Ryan Anglemeyer, who's one of our um, producers, video shooters, and uh, he was shooting B-roll, and he said, all right, how much do I need to get? And I said, ah, don't worry about it. This will be thrown out the window in a couple weeks once we have uh, yep. regular games. <laughs> nope, we're going to be relying heavily on that B-roll uh, and all yep. these interviews to go along with it. So um, yep. bear with us as we are obviously, um, this is not normal circumstances. So we're, we're, uh, we're just reusing, recycling, you know, you just stocking up, on, can. stocking up on uh, toilet paper. All right, yep. um, Bobby, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to leave you guys with uh, our interview that we had in spring training with one Brandon Hyde. Talked a little bit about his experience as a minor league baseball player, as a catcher, and um, as a DH on occasion. Struggled with a lot of injuries, was very candid, very honest about the kind of career that he had. Um, and he was, uh, a, as always, a great interview and, uh, and a great guy to sit down and talk with. So this was me and Brandon Hyde down in Sarasota. Here in Sarasota, Florida for Orioles Spring Training and joined by manager Brandon Hyde. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, of course, everybody wants to ask about how you're managing your second big league camp, but I want to get back to your playing days. You said before we 
started recording here that it was going to be a two-minute conversation. <laughs> I'm going to try a to short interview. that out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to your days at Long Beach State as a dirtbag. What were your days there like? Also, dirtbag being used because that's what you guys call it's a yourself, good. It's a good right? term. Yeah. It's a good term. You know, the dirtbag name started with the coach that I played for. I think it was in 1989. It was kind of a, the program wasn't what it became and that it was it was kind of starting over. They didn't really have a field, so they would practice on a dirt field and they became, they, they gave themselves the name the Dirtbags and they went to Omaha that year to the College World Series and then just started this really good tradition of really producing a lot of professional players, a lot of big league players um, for all those years. So yeah, it's a, it's a term that everybody that played there feels uh, holds close to their heart and, and proud to be one. Yeah, it's an affectionate term, of yeah. course. Now, you played 200 minor league games, but you struggled with a little bit of injuries throughout your minor league career. Yeah, when I signed, I was I was, uh, I was was hurt. When I played in my senior year at Long Beach, I played with a hurt elbow. And I just always tried to mask it and, and just try to grind through it as best I could. Um, it was a short-lived minor league career just because I never, my elbow never recovered and, and um, I would do the best I can to protect it, but uh, it just didn't last real long. As a catcher, how much did that inhibit you throwing out base runners as well. Well, it, I was in the training room quite a bit, and I would, I would be hurt, you know, a lot on the DL a lot, and just never got it fixed. And and it was just a stress fracture, this bad stress fracture that that just never would heal. And being a, a free agent sign and a guy that was just trying to make a team and, and hang in there as long as I could, I just never really said anything. I look, I look back, I would do so many things differently. That's kind of a story I tell people sometimes. Is that you know, make sure that you speak up with if you're hurt, and make sure that you're communicating and I just didn't do a very good job of that when I was a player and I just wanted to play as long as I could and as high as I could and I just I wish I would have said you know I've spoken up and as a manager of course you deal with injured players all the time yeah. in particular I think of a guy maybe like Alex Cobb who's dealt with a lot of injuries mm -hmm. over his career and that can really have a toll on a player after a long period of time does it does it help to kind of have that experience and when you talk yeah about yeah it's really frustrating you want to play yeah. and when you're not able to yeah it's really hard and you just have a lot of tough days and that you're you're you can't do what you know what, what you love to do and you can't achieve the goals you're trying to achieve and so i have uh, you know appreciation and respect for guys that that are hurt that are they're coming back from injuries and hope for the best for them because of your injuries in part you dh'd for some time i'm guessing you prefer to be behind the plate as opposed yeah. to dh'ing oh yeah no i i would dh against left-handers i could hit a left-hand right. pitcher <laughs> yeah no i have had to dh a lot because i just i couldn't i couldn't get behind the plate every game this clubhouse in particular has a ton of catchers with varying major league experience yeah. think of number one overall pick adley rutschman who's getting his first right. taste of major league ball but then you've got some older guys like a brian holiday who's been around do you like working with this group of catchers in particular, given your experience? I do, and it's fun to watch Adley uh, just catch sides out there. It's, it's, it's fun to watch him. But yeah, I think that we have three guys here that got a lot of great experience the last couple years, and, and Winnie, uh, Seve, and Chance. And I think that I've already noticed a difference in kind of in their confidence levels, and, and they know what it takes to be a major league player now. And Seve really established himself last year by having a really nice year offensively and improving defensively. And, you know, the other two guys have gotten some great experience. So now it's taking it to the next step of, you know, perfecting the art of being a defensive catcher. And all three are getting better every day. It's nice to have Brian here. I, he's out there talking with guys, and I see him giving tidbits here and there because of the experience that he's had. And he's, and he's caught a bunch of really good pitching staffs. So to have that experience is really valuable in camp. So as a player, who would you say is the best player while you were in the White Sox organization that you played with? Played some pretty good players. We won a couple championships. I caught Mark Burley a lot. Okay. 
Burley was a kind of a later round JC pick. 19 years old, came to us in the Midwest League. It was like a big leaguer from the time he stepped on the field. He was just a, he was just so good, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody with that kind of command. Really? Yeah. Who was the best player you played against? Played against a lot of really good Major League players. The one that sticks out for me was when Sabathia was drafted in the first round. He was like an 18-year-old kid throwing 99. I was a little bit older, and I remember I had him a 3-0 and was going to try to get early to a fastball, and I hit it back here down the right field line for a double. So um, that just shows you how late I was. But, yeah, Sabathia is probably one of the best pitchers I've seen. Did you know at that point, obviously he's 18 years old, but did you have an idea that he had that potential in him? There was no doubt. Yeah. If he just stayed healthy, he was going to be good, really good for a long time. Well, we should get you at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony to tell that story. That'd be a great story. I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember. <laughs> when was the last time that you were able to take BP? This, this, this is like a sad interview. Um, <laughs> the last time was I was coaching Midwest League 2005 or 6. Decided to take some batting practice on the field with my hitting coach. I think we both hurt ourselves. So both? Both of us hurt ourselves. I had an oblique that I couldn't sneeze for three weeks. Oof. Hurt so bad. But yeah, so that was the last time I, thought, I said, you know what, my days are over. Yeah. I'm going to stick with golf. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you can swing a golf club. But Fine, swing a golf club. Fun. Yeah. That, that's good. All right. How about as a player? You know, you get to observe different kinds of managers, different managerial styles. Do you have a favorite manager from your playing days? Yeah, I played for uh, some really good ones. Uh, I go back to my college coach, Dave Snow, who was, who was excellent and a Team USA coach for a lot of years. And so I learned a lot from him. And, but then in Pro Bowl, I played for uh, Nick Capra for three years. And uh, Cappy was, uh, is now the third base coach of the White Sox. Being around him a lot, and we stayed in touch throughout the years, and then being with the Cubs and him with the White Sox, I, was, I see him all the time. So he was just a really good, hard-nosed manager that uh, I really enjoyed playing for. Did you pick up some stuff then that you have taken with you now as a manager? Yeah, I think if your eyes are open and, and you listen, I think you're always taking stuff from, from people that, you're, that you care about and respect and, and see how they do things. And I'm always watching... Um, guys I respect. You mentioned earlier that you would do a lot differently as a player. I think particularly analytics have obviously grown immensely since your days as a player. Knowing what you know now about sabermetrics, what kind of things would you try to incorporate in your game that you weren't able to do back then? Back in the Stone Ages, you know, I would definitely would have understood more about the walk sl slug. Um, okay. The OPS. And mm -hmm. I think back then it was just RB, you know, average RBIs homers. Yeah. And not understanding the, the importance of a walk, not understand how you know how it help, helps you know your numbers wise, but but team wise, all that kind of stuff. So I would have definitely tried to um, tighten up my strike zone management as a hitter, have a more of a, a an approach where I'm, I'm getting a good pitch to drive. Instead of, I think I just got my at-bats over way too early in the count because I was trying too hard instead of really letting the at-bat come and and uh, taking what's given. Gotcha. And of course, back then, those were stats that probably even front offices didn't value right. as much as they yeah, did. Yeah, it was average homers or RBIs back then, run scored. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for uh, reminiscing on your days. I'm sorry we had to bring up some painful memories there as well. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we Not a whole lot to talk about. We won't see you out there taking BP. No. We'll see you throwing some Yeah, BP. I'll throw. Right. I'll throw. Yeah, my elbow feels way better than it does when I, when I play. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no BP. Thanks so much for joining us here on Mass and All Access. All right. Thanks for having me. Brandon Hyde joining us here from Sarasota, Florida.